Welcome to Buy the Books, the podcast helping business owners navigate the complex world of business, tax, and bookkeeping. Now, to the owner and president of Secline, Lindsay Klein. Thank you for joining us today, everyone. This is Lindsay Klein with Secline, honest, accurate bookkeeping performed on time. And I'm here today with Chris Gross of Frito Nation Productions. How are you today? I'm good, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on today. So I just got back from Vegas. Yes. Again. Yes. How was that? It was good. I actually gambled a little bit this time. And I, you did very well. Well, $400. Well, yes. Well, yes. it could have been much worse. It could have been worse. I yes. could have lost money. Yeah. But, you know, last month I went for the bookkeeping conference. Yeah. This time it was the CPA conference. And one of the CPAs on the very last night I was there invited me to a poker tournament. And I hadn't done any gambling up to that point. But I'm like, hey, it's last night yeah. here. Vegas. Vegas it is. Like, got to do something, right? So I joined him and I actually won. I could not believe it because he is literally doing a crash course with me in the Uber on the way there <laughs> because I had not played Texas Hold'em in probably 10 years or more. So he's trying to give me all the information on the way there. And so I don't know if it was beginner's luck or what, but yes, I did. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Lindsay texted me and said, can you please send me Frito's number? I need to I need to tell him that I won this tournament. Yes, because Frito is a poker player. Yeah. So I had I had to have, have a little bragging rights there. <laughs> well, congratulations on that. So here is here is the scary part of this. When I went downstairs to the lobby to the hotel, I grabbed $300 out of the ATM because I didn't know how much yeah. I was going to be spending at right. this poker tournament that I had never done before. So I grabbed the cash and I put it in my wallet to go meet the CPA I was going with. And I had one of those wallets that is on a, it has like a um, wrist wrap, you know, yeah. that you carry yeah. on your wrist. We get to the poker tournament. I'm up there to give my money to enter the poker tournament and the money is gone. Oh my Not in gosh. my wallet at all. And I'm like, um, either I was robbed or my money fell out of yeah. my wallet, which was a possibility. I, I should have put it in the zipped part of the purse. So I was sick about it because I'm like, this is terrible. I'm already down $300 and I haven't even played at all. <laughs> So the the entry fee was $100. So I went and grabbed another $100 oh, no. out. Yeah. And uh, the winning, which you don't know how much your, the pot is worth until everyone, you know, they close it up and you can't buy in anymore. So when they finally got to the point where we knew how much the first place pot was, it was $400. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I have to win. Yes. So I can break even tonight. Yeah. I cannot walk away with a loss. <laughs> So that was my goal the entire time. I just got to break even. <laughs> I just got to break yeah. even. And so it got down to four people at the poker table. And then they, it, by this time, it's been three hours of yeah. play. Everyone's getting tired. It's probably about 10 o'clock at this point. And so then they start talking about, well, why don't we just split it four ways, 200 each, and then call it a day? I was like, no, no. I have to break <laughs> even. <laughs> That's not going to give me my $300 back. So then we get down immediately after that, the hand after that, one guy busted out. And I'm like, well, I'm sure I'm glad I didn't take yeah, that deal because yeah. one hand later, we're down one person. So then there was three. So then there's talk of, well, how about if we split it three ways and yeah. call it a day? Nope, no, I no. need the $400 to break even. <laughs> 
so finally, about probably had another 30, 45 minutes of play after that. And finally, I brought it home. Awesome. <laughs> yes. 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 So I get back to my hotel room. Um, went to bed that night, got up the next morning, I'm getting ready to go to the airport, about to check out of the hotel, gathering up the last of my stuff, and I go use the restroom before I leave. And I see in between the toilet and the wall, kind of back in the back behind the toilet, is the $300. Oh my gosh! <laughs> <Yes>. Wow! <laughs> because I had gone up to use the restroom before I left, and that's where it fell out. So, I got my $300 and $300 in winnings. So I was very happy. And see, home. you know what? <laughs> if you wouldn't have lost the 300, you probably at some point yes, would have said, let's just probably. split the cash. Well, because of the peer pressure, right? You yeah. have three other people that just want to go home, you right. know? And But no, I was like, no, I got to get my money back. <laughs> Perseverance pays off, Lindsay. <laughs> So congratulations. That's crazy. I was not expecting at some point in the story for you to find the $300. So that's awesome. I know. I was sick. Okay. And this is what's funny is when I came back to the hotel where I was staying, where I thought I lost the money. Yeah. I'm like, this is going to be so stupid. They're going to laugh at me, but I'm going to go to the lost and found. (laughs) So I go up and I'm like sheepishly saying, okay, this is really dumb. Don't laugh at me. But did anyone turn in $300 cash? (laughs) Um, Surprisingly, no one had. (laughs) I even went to the restaurant where we ate before we left. I asked the manager. He was like, listen, our people are very honest. He's like apologizing, like thinking that I guess was accusing them of stealing. I was like, no, I wasn't accusing it, everyone. I think it just fell out. So he let me look around. I was like determined if that money was there somewhere, I was going to find yeah, it. Yeah. So thankfully I did. I was a huge relief. Even That's though awesome. <laughs> that is so great. What a great story. So what can you imagine? I asked you when I went to the bookkeeping conference, what do you think a room full of 400 bookkeepers yeah. are like? Well, there was, I think, about 2,000 CPAs at this conference. Maybe about can the same. Can you imagine it? Yeah. <laughs> Was it any different? Probably true. This one was interesting. So this is the AICPA conference, which is CPA Association. And people get a lot of CE credits, continuing education credits. Yeah. So if they go the whole four days, I think they get, you know, whatever they need for the three years or whatever. So I don't know the exact increments of CE credits that they need, but that's why a lot of CPAs Mm, come to the conference. So that's why you had so many people there. Yeah. 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 So... This one, though, instead of having like a central room where we were all gathered together, this was a bunch of different breakout sessions. There wasn't really a centralized hub or location. So that was a little different. Um, And it was so there was probably about five or six breakout sessions at one time. And you had to choose which one you wanted to go to. Yeah. And you had tax topics, obviously. You had wealth building topics like investments and things like that. You had soft skills like leadership and yeah. things like that. So you kind of had the whole gamut and yeah. you could choose what you wanted to go to. I was trying to focus most of my efforts on the tax sure. side of things so that I could learn what's going on in the tax realm to help us on, you know, in our bookkeeping company. If we know the frame of reference in terms of what the tax preparer is going to need, 
we can hopefully make that process smooth as butter. That's the goal anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So here's an interesting topic that came up that I thought would make a good podcast episode. Okay. What happens do you think when you file your taxes, you have a tax preparer, you hire Mm -hmm. could be someone with a wealth of experience, very renowned, but then you get audited by the IRS and they're telling you, you owe a ton of money. Okay. And you're like, wait, I, I didn't prepare the taxes. I hired this very expensive tax preparer to do yes. it for me. Yes. That supposedly knows what he's doing. And then they find, nope, you owe, you owe this money because it was incorrectly filed. So in that point, I would be curious, is, is there a, a defense that I could have where you could this is going to sound more crass than than I would present it that way. Can I blame my tax preparer <laughs> or is it all on, is it basically where it says, yes, he prepared it, but maybe you should have looked over it before it got presented. So at that point I would have, if I'm being audited, I'm trying to shift the blame somewhere else. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to and do. And many people do. Yeah. So this actually came up during one of the sessions. Um, the speaker was bringing up some case studies where people were trying to use that exact defense. Where they tried to blame their tax right. preparer. They okay. were trying to say, my tax preparer was paid to do this, right? <laughs> yeah. You expect yeah. they know what they're doing. They're the CPA. And um, in these two cases that I later went back and did some more research on, it didn't work. Oh, okay. Okay. (laughs) So I thought I would talk about this because it really goes back to what is the tax preparer's responsibility and what is the taxpayer's responsibility. So the tax court has, interestingly enough, they have... Um, created a test, basically. They're saying that there are, in some cases, this is a valid defense to say that your advisor Mm -hmm. led you down the wrong path. But they have this three-pronged test that they use for this, what they call tax advisor exception. So number one... The first test is, did the, was the advisor a competent professional who had sufficient ex- expertise to justify reliance? So, in other words, you can't go get Joe, the homeless guy down the street, and say, he told me yeah. this is what I should do. Right. Okay, no, nothing against homeless people. Yeah. I probably should have used that example. No, but but what your point is, is... Um, you can't just find... I'm not going to go to, like, m- my my 16-year-old right, cousin right. or, you know, the guy who working as a manager at Burger King. Right. And then when wait, they do wait, my taxes... Wait, no offense to the Burger yeah, King I, okay. Since you brought it up, I'm trying to find a We're way... We're just getting each other in trouble. Okay. You don't want to go to Chris Gross... You don't want to go to Chris Gross and when he prepares your taxes and say, well, Chris Gross told me my taxes were okay. Right. Okay. I think we found where we not offended somebody there. So, yeah. So that's the first test. Is this person that you're blaming actually competent yeah. to make these judgment calls? That's the first test. Number two is... The taxpayer provided necessary and accurate information to that advisor. That's a big one. 
Because if that advisor doesn't have everything they need, if some important information yeah, was yeah. omitted when they filed that return, how can they be held responsible for it? So that's a big one. And also goes back to the thing I always harp on about documentation. Yes. yes. <laughs> Over document, flood your your bookkeepers. Hey, we if you need a bookkeeper, we will help yeah. you. Flood us with the documents. We'll save them for you. All right, then number three, the taxpayer actually relied in good faith on the advisor's judgment. So that's test number three. So here's one of the So cases. that one basically, that, that one is saying, I in good judgment, I, it could be argued that this is what they told me, and so I went with it. Is that what that's arguing? Basically, yeah. We relied on it, whatever they told you, in good faith, on their judgment. Okay, yeah. And as we'll see as we go through a couple of these case studies, that word judgment is important. Oh, okay. So okay. this first one is United States versus Boyle. This is one that was... Um, Boyle. <clears throat> yes. Boyle. <laughs> so Boyle, he was the ex executor of his mother's will. And he retained an, an attorney to handle the estate. He provided the attorney with all the relevant information. So that's number two. He provided all the relevant information and the records for filing the federal estate tax return. It was required to be filed within nine months of the death. So here we have a situation where he hired a professional. He gave him all the information. He had a deadline of nine months. It says, but the return was filed three months late, mm. apparently because of a clerical oversight in omitting the filing date from the attorney's calendar. So this wasn't even a really like a professional error. This yeah. was just a clerical error, if mm -hmm. you will, not having it on the calendar. So what happened? Um, so let's see. The respondent paid the penalty because he got a penalty for filing late. Then he filed a suit in district, uh, federal district court for a refund, contending that the penalty was unjustified because his failure to file the return on time was due to reasonable cause, i.e. reliance on his attorney. Okay, so there's the case, basically. Yes. He's saying, listen, yeah. this is not my fault. I hired someone that was supposed to be in charge yeah. of this, and he didn't do it. It's his fault that it was late, not mine. So here's what happened. The failure to make a timely filing of a tax return is not excused by the taxpayers reliant on an agent. So they found that that was not a valid reason. Mm -hmm. So here's why. To say that it was, a it was reasonable for respondent to assume that the attorney would meet the statutory deadlines may resolve the matter as between them, but not with respect to the respondent's obligation under this statute. It requires no special training or effort on the taxpayer's part to a certain a deadline. So that's one of the things they look at is would this taxpayer have had to have special training or special effort to know that that was his deadline? They found here that it, that yeah. there was no right. special training or effort required. And that the attorney, as the respondent's agent, was expected to attend to the matter does not relieve the principle of his duty to meet the deadline. Hmm. So here the courts found that Boyle was responsible and it, that his blaming, as you say, his yeah. professional 
did not fly, that ultimately it was still a matter of his taxpayer responsibility to make sure that that tax return was filed on time. Then we have Woodson versus Commissioner. So I want to pause on that one. Okay. So I, I think I'm with Boyle on this one. It, it seems like <clears throat> I've hired somebody and you're basically handing everything over to them. Yes. Correct. Uh-huh. So is that even- why is it my fault? I, I guess what the court is saying it's on me to check in with him to make sure it's got turned in. Is That's actually one of the details of the case that I actually didn't read. But yeah. he actually was checking in with the attorney about the deadline. So he knew the deadline and he was asking the attorney and he, he claims that the attorney told him it would be filed on time. Wow. Okay. So this, again, goes back to taxpayer responsibility, which is why I thought this would be a good topic. Because yeah. at the end of the day, the courts can still say, uh-uh, it was up to you to make sure that was filed on time, even if you hire, hire a professional. And they supposedly told you that it would be taken care of. Right. So probably what he should have done was get another professional when the, the deadline is coming really soon, yeah. you know, two, yeah. three weeks beforehand, which is not a lot of time to file with a new professional. Probably at that point, he should have moved to someone else. Yeah, yeah. But he trusted his professional. Right. Hmm. Wow. So this, the courts say that's not a valid response. That's not a valid de- defense, that is. Okay. So can't use that one. Wow. All right. All right. Okay, so here's another one. Yes. Woodson versus Commissioner. This is actually settled in 2011, so it's a fairly recent case. So here's another one. <clears throat> this is another case where reliance on a professional on professional advice was found insufficient to constitute reasonable cause involving taxpayers who failed to examine the prepared return adequately to ensure mm-hmm. its yep. accuracy. Yep. yep. So in this case, you have a, a a return that was filed on time, but the IRS nailed the taxpayer on it being inaccurate. Yes. And what happened was this this guy Woodson, he had a 1099 that was 3.4 million dollars from a bank regarding some sold investments. He in total had over 160 informational returns including his 1099s. So, a lot of paper that he's giving his tax preparer, over 160 different informational pieces going into this tax return, including this one 1099, and he did give it to his tax preparer. So that's that's one piece, both the tax preparer and the taxpayer agreed that he gave that 1099 to the tax preparer. This was a 115-page return, so it was it was a doozy. Yeah. And in total, they had to file 27 state income tax returns in addition to the federal income tax return. So this is a complicated one, right? A lot of documents involved, a lot of different returns being filed. So they hired this company called Venture Tax Services. The guy who owned this company was just the reviewer of the return. So the guy they talked to, communicated with, he wasn't actually the one preparing the return. He was just reviewing the return. But the person that was reviewing the return was, I mean, actually preparing the return was a CPA. He had more than 20 years of tax experience. 
including employment with major accounting firms. So more than qualified yes. to do a tax return for this um, client. And then the guy that was the reviewer, he was also a CPA. So you have now two CPAs that have reviewed this return. Wow. Then the day that it was due, the client comes in, Woodsome, him and his wife, they sit down with the CPA, they review the return. They actually go over it with the CPA. They don't catch that it's missing this one 1099. That's okay. $3.4 million. Now wow. in total, you're talking about, um, let's see, they had 3.7 million in revenue that year. So that's, that's basically, I'm sorry, 3.7 in taxes that they okay. paid, yeah. but they should have paid according to the IRS 4.2 million. Okay. So that wow. was the difference in the tax liability. Yeah. So if you have 3.7 million in taxes, how much income are we talking about here? This is a big one. Yeah. But they don't notice this this three point measly three point right. four yeah. million. Yeah. So they get nailed by the IRS because the IRS gets those 1099s. They got the 1099 from the bank showing the 3.4 million and they don't see it on Woodson's tax return. So he gets a penalty and he goes to court with this. And what is his defense? He contends that it was a simple clerical error, that it was a oversight by the, the preparer, yeah. that he submitted it to his preparer. And that, so therefore he shouldn't be penalized for right, it. Right. Valid? What do you think happens? Well, see, to me, I think you were valid up to the point that you reviewed it yourself. And I think that's when you could get into some trouble. Touche. Is that what happened? So the court did not rule in Woodson's favor. Yeah. Um, so remember our test. Yeah. Oh, yes, the test. The number one was the advisor competent. Well, he passed he that. He passed that. He's yep. a CPA with years of experience. Um, did the taxpayer provide the necessary and accurate information to the advisor? Sounds like it yes, passed that. Yeah, he did. So then it comes down to number three, and this is where it fell apart. So number three is the taxpayer actually relied in good faith on the advisor's judgment. So here's where what the court said. The court explained that to rely on an advisor's judgment, the advisor must communicate some analysis or conclusion that would be characterized as substantive advice. There was no evidence that the return preparers used any analysis or judgment or that they were conveying a professional opinion to omit that $3.4 million in income. Okay. So that's where it falls apart is yeah. that the, the advisor never said you should not put this $3.4 yes. $3. million income on your tax return. Right. There was no advice given to the taxpayer that caused that omission. And so at the end of the day, they found that it, it was up to him to review his return and see if it was correct. Yeah. So, so the argument there would have been the only way that he would have gotten out of this. Everything else could have been the same, but if they would have said, hey, look, we looked at this $3.4 million, and in my opinion, you don't need to include it. And so if the taxpayer would have said that, he would have had probably, a defense. Probably, okay. right? We're speculating at this point. Yeah. But 
that seems to be what it what the issue was is yeah. that there was no advice given because remember it's going back to that word judgment mm-hmm. there was no judgment issue here it was yeah. a clerical error error okay. so there was no okay. judgment call and so mm-hmm. that was what the how the whole case fell apart was that right there so it goes back to the importance of ensuring that what is filed even if you have the most brilliant knowledgeable yeah successful, well-known tax preparer in the world, right? there still can be clerical issues that are overlooked. Yeah. And at the end of the day, the IRS is not going to see the, the blaming the advisor. They're not going to see that as a valid defense. So that's why I thought this would be a really good topic to bring, because I think there's a lot of people that don't realize. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people trust that their CPA knows what they're doing, and largely they do. Right. But as we've seen, even the people that know what they're doing make mistakes. Yeah. And so what you, I guess what I'm thinking here is you want to make sure you double check that thing to make sure everything that I get gave them has been yes. taken care of. And I need to make sure that if if they're the one filing for me, that this is getting filed on time. Yes. Because... I'm glad you went through some of those examples because I would have thought based off the criteria originally, any kind of those errors would have been placed on the tax professional. No. But that's only if they come back at you and say, hey, look, I know you have this tax form that that you think maybe should be part of Included. your taxable income, but we say it's not. Right. And so we're going to leave it out. Right. But even then, with that you have to still meet the first two pieces of criteria. Right. And it kind of seems like to me, if you have checked off box number three where they've said, yeah, you don't need this, you probably haven't checked off box number one, (laughs) which is where you're going to someone who's a credible CPA with experience. Right, right. So did, did you find any cases where people had successfully... Argue oh yeah, this. there are okay. cases out there, but it and, seems like it'd be very few. Well, it has to meet this criteria, yeah. right? And I yeah. think that number three is the biggest one because they have people have to be able to prove that they acted in good faith on the advisor's judgment, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. so, like you said, the the advisor actually saying this is how we should do it. Yeah. Not that it was just a mistake because of clerical issues or something getting overlooked, but that they actually advised it be being done that way. Right. So that's where a lot of these issues come because how many, honestly, I'm thinking how many advisors are actually going to admit? Yes. I, I advised my client to do that. Yeah. And, it, and if you don't, <laughs> and if you don't have it in like an email. Yeah. How can you prove you it? You can't prove it. <laughs> and if it was just right, like if you and I were talking and you told me and we're now in court and it's like, hey, either I'm paying the taxes or you are, why would you admit? Oh, I mean, yeah, honest I people would, yeah. but and you I know. guess you're, I mean, I guess you're under oath, yeah, are you? Yeah. So you would think you would, yeah. but you don't have that, that argument locked down unless you yeah. really have it in writing. And what if your advisor is dead? Or what if they're long gone? What if they're MIA or in a different country? I don't know what the the actual um, laws are in regards to subpoena. If they subpoena you to come be a witness and say yes or no, whether you advise this, if you're in a different country, are you obligated to come? Yeah. You know, I don't know what the rules are on that, but. And this would be happening years later. 
Oh, more than likely, yes. And so then what are even the chances that you, you, though most of those guys could probably honestly go up there and say, I, I don't, don't remember. remember. Right. Like, I do not remember this conversation. And it might be legitimate that they don't yes. remember. Because yeah. you're exactly right. You're talking about years ago yeah. trying to remember one of probably hundreds or thousands of clients, clients. that they have. They legit probably yes. don't remember. Wow. So it gets a little complicated. But yeah. so here's the thing that I've been thinking about, though. Most people, I mean, there's business owners there out there that are savvy. There's taxpayers out there that are savvy. But by and large, people are hiring a professional because they don't want to think about it, deal with it, or don't know how to do it. Yeah. So then what do you do? That's so I've got to thinking about that. Okay, with this hundred and six most people don't have a hundred and sixty ten ninety nines. That's yeah. a lot. Yeah. That's not your typical taxpayer. But even this guy could have hired someone as a clerical person to help him with this. So whether it's the taxpayer or someone you hire, have copies of those hundred and sixty documents, whether it's a digital copy or an actual mm-hmm. physical copy, ask the tax preparer to show you. All right, this 1099, where is this on my return? Show me. Right. Have them show you. Even if you don't know how to find it, have them find it and show it to you. And go through every single one, which hopefully you don't have 100. Well, I guess hopefully you do have 160. (laughs) (laughs) Then you can afford to hire someone to do this for you. And go through each of them. Where is it on the tax return? Yeah. So that would be one piece of advice that I would suggest that taxpayers do to make sure everything that you've gotten because everything you've gotten in the mail the irs has a copy of it Mm -hmm. so those are the really Mm -hmm. important documents to make sure somewhere on your tax return it's recognized because that's the stuff that the irs can immediately spot hey we got this 1099 from this company and the taxpayer did not include Mm -hmm. it and it has their social security number or tax ID number. So they know what tax return it's supposed to be showing up on. And this is, I'm sure, all automated at this point, right? Right. So they probably can just pull reports that show, here's all the missing, you know, 1099s that are not appearing on anyone's tax return. Yeah. So it's not that difficult for them. So those are the things that are really important to make sure are on your return. Yeah. And I think it's important too, to, you know, the thing I was thinking is, Man, this poor guy who was dealing with the death was it his mom, mom who passed uh-huh. away? Yes. And then you're having to deal with all this. Yeah. But that's why it's you've got to when you pick who's going to be the executor of your will, you got to make sure you picked the right person yes. who's going to be able to handle this this kind of stuff. Right. And then that way, when the time comes, when you're actually dead, there's not a scramble for. <laughs> Hey, who's going to deal with this and who's going to file my taxes? Right. So I, I can see that being a, a, a big problem that arises out of this yes. too. I, I think the big takeaway is, and and this is always, and, and my dad has always helped me with this when we finish going through you know, TurboTax, when, when we do our, our taxes, it is, you always go through it at the end. You always Good double check to make you. sure that everything is there. Have we gone through all the documents? We go through piece by piece, you know, everything, the charitable donations, this form, this form. Do you have this form? Well, last year you had this form. Do you have it this year? And you Sounds just like your dad's check. a good CPA. Yes, yes he is. <laughs> he is. Um, and so I think I'm going to be even more cautious of it now because 
it doesn't look like I'm going to be able to lay the blame on my dad reasonably <laughs> from what you've shown me in these court documents. <laughs> yeah, probably not, yeah. especially if he's that conscientious. Yes. <laughs> but that's good. Yeah. That's the kind of tax preparer you want. You want the one that's annoyingly, painstakingly right. yes. going through everything. Yes. This is one of those times where, and and I tell people when I need this, this is how I was with our realtor when we bought our house. I want you to hold my hand and walk me through yeah. it. <laughs> Even if you think I've heard this three times, tell, tell me. me again. <laughs> and so that's absolutely the way you want your relationship with your tax preparer to be is talk me through everything. Yeah. I need you to explain everything to me like I'm five. <laughs> because honestly, isn't it worth it to say, I'd rather turn what could be a 15 minute conversation into maybe an hour, an hour and a half mm -hmm. versus in four years, now I'm being audited and, and if, I've got a big problem and I've go. got to pay taxes plus penalties. There you go. And I will say this, if you can find a CPA that's willing to do that, yes, then you probably have a great one because yeah. not a lot of CPAs I don't think are willing to do that with all of their clients. So when you're at this CPA conference and, and this is something that, that you're discussing or this is a topic that's that's being brought up, does it seem like most of the CPAs there operate in a way like that, where it's, I am walking my clients through this, or do you think it is that most CPAs are, I just want to do kind of the, the bare minimum and I'm going to give it back to them? So I meet a lot of CPAs yeah. intentionally, not only through my bookkeeping business, because one of our onboarding task items is to get acquainted with who's going to prepare the taxes for our bookkeeping clients. And that's really important um, because every CPA has their nuances and yeah. their ways of doing things. And I like to have continuity there. And my, my goal is to make their job smooth as butter. Like I said, very easy. So I talk to a lot of different CPAs, specifically CPAs that prepare taxes. Um, I will tell you almost every client that I've signed on has told me they're not happy with their CPA. And it typically stems down to customer service issues that they don't feel like they're being heard. They don't know mm. what's going on. It's communication issues. Yeah, That's really 90% of the time what the problem is. It's not even about their expertise level, their knowledge, their, how that they did a bad job on the returns. It's no, usually nothing related to any of that. It's just the communication issues. They don't feel like they're even on their CPA's radar. Wow. Wow. And it's pretty, it's so prevalent. I hear it all the time. Yeah. So whenever, that's why I say, if you can find the CPA that's willing to sit down with you for an hour and a half and uh -huh. go through your return like that, you probably have a winner. Wow. And this, again, I, I, I could totally understand their frustration because that would be a person that you want that communication yes. with. I have a client right now. We, we he signed on with us at least two months ago. I have been trying to contact their CPA since then. I, oh I got an initial email saying, well, give me until June 15th, which is t in Texas. That was our tax deadline. I'm like, that's completely understandable. Yeah. I'll contact you after s June. I've been trying to contact since June, have not heard a word. So 
and and here I am as the bookkeeper saying, listen, I want to get in touch with you and to make sure we're on the same page with the books as yeah. what you're doing on the taxes. Um, you know, we have some questions, want to make sure we're booking things correctly as how you're going to do the taxes. You would think the CPA would be incentivized to make sure yeah. because yeah. we're going to make their job easier if we have the information we need. But you know, I, yeah. I can only lead a horse to water. I right. can't make a yeah. drink. <laughs> so I understand my clients' frustrations. In some cases, I have the same problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and I get that, and that's frustrating. But, Lindsay, do you have those problems communicating with your clients? Oh, yes. You know yeah. me. I really have trouble with that communication. <laughs> Frito's over here laughing. <laughs> I really try to make a concerted effort to keep the communication flowing. So let my clients know that they're being heard, um, that we understand their concerns, that we're going to do everything on our part to help them and whatever their pain points are. I really try because, and especially knowing that that's where their frustrations lie with their tax preparers. So often I want to help fill that gap. So that is my goal. And that's why you want Lindsay. Go to Secline. <laughs> That's right. Secline.com. Yes. If you needed a bookkeeper. Thank you for joining me for this. Was this a good topic? I I found this fascinating. And and I want to say- You're learning so much. I am. You. I seriously, like, <laughs> seriously, I am. And, and I know that's been beneficial to the podcast <laughs> listeners and the YouTube viewers as well. They're learning along with me if they yeah. didn't already know this stuff. And Lindsay, you came into this and you said, let's do the boring one. And this was anything from boring. Trust me. You're not supposed to tell the listeners that I called it boring. Well, I want them to know that Lindsay can take what she considers boring and turn it into fun for me. And so that's all I'm trying to give you a compliment. That's what I'm trying to do. thank you for you to consider this fun going through case studies. Yeah. I consider that a, the highest compliment. Thank you. <laughs> it, this was this was great. So, Lindsay, if people are interested in reaching out to you, how do they do so? All right. So, website, sakline.com, S-A-K-L-I-N-E.com. And if somebody wants a, web, or a website, about to call you a website creator. Sorry. If somebody wants to do a podcast, how can they find you? Yes. Freedonation.live or email me, Chris, K-R-I-S at freedonation.live. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Lindsay. And if anyone needs any bookkeeping, we are here to help at Sakline, S-A-K-L-I-N-E.com or our Dallas office at 214-396-5020. And I still have not learned the San Antonio number. It's going to be like right. It's going to be like right (laughs) here. You can read it at the bottom. Somewhere down there, read it. (laughs) You'd think I'd be more prepared since I forgot it last time too, but... We have a San Antonio office. It's on our website. For the YouTube viewers, it's on the screen. For our podcast listeners, you can find it in the show. There you go. Thank you so much. Have a great day, everyone. Until next time. By the Books is presented by Secline. Honest, accurate bookkeeping performed on time. For more information on Secline services or to get a hold of Lindsay, visit secline.com or email info at secline.com. The information provided on this website and podcast does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. 
Instead, all information, content, and materials available are for general information purposes only. Information provided by Secline may not constitute the most up-to-date legal or other information. Listeners should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter and should refrain from acting on the basis of this information without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information contained herein and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation.